I, I just did some brakes on my car yesterday. I drive a Honda Civic and uh, when the brakes are in rough shape, then if you, well, if you push it too long, the, the brake pad wears down and then the, the metal of the, the pad grinds against the rotors. And uh, it makes, I discovered it makes a really loud grinding noise whenever you come to a stop at a light or, uh, so I, I knew that this needed to happen and the grinding was like minimal at first. And then um, we, uh, my poor wife had, had to endure. <laughs> we just went out to a trip to Huntington Beach. And so we drove all the way there and back with grinding brakes. And uh, I was like, I'll fix it as soon as we got back. So I did it yesterday. Sure enough, the brake pad had no pad left. It was just, um, just ground down metal. And I thought, well, at least I got my money's worth out of these brake pads <laughs> all the way. And, uh, you know, when the sound of metal grinding against metal is uh, not, not a pleasant feeling. Sometimes it feels like you have times in your life where things are grinding and it feels like you're, you know, maybe, maybe even rolling into a church on a Sunday morning. You feel like you're coming grinding in and uh, things are, are worn down. I think probably on a day like today, when you, when you come into a church service, there's you know, a lot of different people here. There's a spectrum of people feeling more positive or feeling more difficulty. You may be here and you'll be like, things are going pretty well. And um, God's really clear to providing for me right now. And you might be on the other end of the spectrum feeling like uh, life, there, is some, there are some things that are really grinding me down right now. And there's some trouble. And, or you might be somewhere in the middle, where it's somebody you're trying to keep your head above water. I don't, I don't know how you feel, but I, I actually, I do think that every Sunday, there are people that show up to church and they're walking through some difficult things. And if that's you, if you did come here today and you have been walking through some tough things, you came on a good Sunday, because I believe there's a message of hope from you in the Bible today. And when you, when you, do, when you are in a, a low moment or a grinding moment of life, there's a few different ways that I think our world try to make you feel better about it or different sayings that maybe try to put a positive spin on the negative. Here's one thing that maybe you've heard or you said. Every cloud has a silver lining. You're like, oh, that that's like, kind of sounds nice and poetic and... Um, you know, I think the idea is like if life is stormy, then like the storm clouds have a silver lining. And I feel like that statement usually sounds better when you're not in the storm. <laughs> like when you're actually in the storm, it actually doesn't, I don't know how much comfort it brings. Here's another one. Sometimes people say, whatever happens, happens for the best. And, you know, you're like, oh, it's this really bad things. And you're, and you're trying, to th- trying to figure out like, how is this bad thing happening actually going to be for the best, but maybe maybe you can cling to that idea. Another one, good vibes only. <laughs> so I only have you ever heard this phrase? You know, just you just feel good. I'm only gonna feel good. I don't want you to make me feel bad. Just you only give me good vibes. I'm gonna give you good vibes. Another one similar to that. Sometimes people say no bad days. So if you're having a bad day, just remind yourself no bad days. That's all you have to do is just say no bad days, and your day will be better. Is maybe the idea. And this is probably the, the, the ultimate comfort statement, I think, when you're going through a hard time is this, it can always get worse. 
<laughs> so if, if you know somebody that's going through a really hard time, just tell them this. Hey, it could always get worse. And they're like, yeah, you know, I feel, I feel so much better now. Um, these are statements that actually most of these statements I do agree with to a certain extent. I think there is a flavor of truth in all of these ideas. These are more or less kind of like cultural Bible verses, if you will. I don't actually mean from the Bible, but these are statements or like, you know, quote, scripture ideas that people use to, to maybe lean on or to reference or just to help yourself or to help other people. And I think, I think they, these statements do work sometimes to a certain extent. But if you've really gone through a difficult time and you are grinding, you've, you've, you have ground down through the entire pad and you're metal on metal now and you're at the bottom. I don't know how well these statements work. And I've been in a few times over the past uh, few years of, of difficulty and there have been some times when I'm at these low moments and um, feeling a tremendous amount of discouragement, disappointment, and some failure. And there have been, there have been a, plenty of times when I leave the house to go to work, and instead of going to work, I just go drive to a parking lot and then just sit in the parking lot with my head on the steering wheel. Or I put, put the seat all the way back, so I'm just laying there. Nobody can see in through the windows. I don't know what to do. I've been in times like, I don't, I don't even know. I feel so overwhelmed by the trouble I'm in right now. And I don't know if you've ever been in really low moments like that. Um, difficulty, fighting a lot of mental battles, fighting a lot of like, real battle situations in life. There's, there's a, a story in the New Testament where a guy was at the very end. And uh, I, want, I want you to see what happens to him. In Acts chapter 16, it says, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. So we have the story. If you know the story, Paul and Silas were in prison and miraculously God was breaking them out of jail. But it was not, it was good news for them, bad news for the jailer because um, if the prisoners escape, the consequence falls on the jailer. And so, um, I mean, if you get to the point where you're ready to kill yourself, that seems like a pretty low moment, I would think. So, I mean, this guy, he had a family. So it seemed like he had a wife and children at home and maybe even other relatives living in his household with him. What, what, what does it take to get to the point where even if you have a wife and kids and people depending on you, that you are going to kill yourself? You know, suicide was really common in those days. Uh, in this period of time in this region of the world, uh, suicide was approved culturally. That if it was approved, and in, in, in some cases maybe accepted, that if you were in such trouble that you could not escape, you knew you weren't going to escape, suicide was actually a, a good option. Imagine telling a guy who's ready to, to draw a sword and kill himself, just tell him, hey, bro, bro. No bad days. Remember? Every cloud's got a silver lining. You know, no, like, come on, that's ridiculous. That doesn't, even, that doesn't even touch the severity of the problem. Imagine talking to a person today who is secretly dealing with suicidal thoughts 
and you have no idea of the extent of the trouble that they're walking through because they seem totally fine on the outside. And then you tell them something like, hey, good vibes only. It's going to be all right. In my experience, in moments of severe trouble, the world's best solutions always fall short. Some of the, you know, the helpful sayings last a little bit, they help a little bit, but in the really severe trouble, this world, the ideas that we get from this world, they, they help a little bit, but they just fall short. If you're overcome with suicidal thoughts, you're not alone, my friend. And if that's the case, I'd really like to talk with you about it. You might find hope, some hope in this message, but I would guess beyond just a message like this, more conversation would be needed, and I'd love to have more conversation. Actually, even Christians sometimes deal with suicidal thoughts. Sometimes, you, maybe even for a Christian, it, it, there's like another angle where you might think, you know, if someone's not a Christian, they have no hope, and they're like, I just want to end it all, anywhere's better than here. But a Christian would say, well, like, there's, there's this weird twi dark twist where it says, well, like, I'm going to heaven anyway. I mean, heaven would be far better than living in this hopeless pit, and I can't even see the way out. So I just painted an extreme picture of, of um, despair, and we see even in the Bible, people who are ready to kill themselves. You might not be at that level today. You may have some trouble, though. I don't know the nature of your trouble or the difficulty you're facing. It could be something totally different. You could be dealing, you know, maybe with depression or anxiety. You could be dealing with a severely broken relationship. You could be dealing with financial trouble. You could be making bad choices, and you know they're bad choices. Or you might know, you might see somebody else making really bad choices, and it impacts you. I mean, if it was you, you could fix, you know, maybe you could fix your own bad choices, but you definitely can't fix someone else's bad choices, and that's hard. Or maybe, maybe you've got a problem, and you do not know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. And I think, I think there's four typical responses to trouble. Here's, or here, here are four of some of the typical responses to trouble. One thing that we tend to do is justify ourselves. This is maybe like kind of the initial thing. Problem strikes, up, strikes, and I'm like, ah, man, this is like going really bad. But man, like, you can start, we can start complaining about the situation or what other people are doing. I might be totally unwilling to look at my contribution to the mess that I'm in. It's everyone else. You know, maybe I have a little part, but the trouble is, is really, it's, it's not me. Another, another response is to blame God. Because, come on, God is the one who could do something to change my situation, and he's not. Why is he not changing my situation? Why is he not listening to my prayer? Why would he let bad things happen, and why would he withhold good things from happening? We can blame God for the trouble. Another thing we tend to do real easily is to get bitter. And just... We can, you know, certainly get bitter towards God. We can get bitter towards other people. And just over time, we can become a sour person. You know, as the years go on, if the trouble doesn't resolve, we can sort of sour and become a person that's just unpleasant. And you just, people around them 
feel it. And there's just like a sour attitude and just an overall disgruntlement. Or another thing in trouble is we just freak out. And you freak out and you do that in different ways. We all maybe do this in different ways. This would be called, I think this, these responses to trouble probably categorize the broad way. When Jesus talked about, you know, there's a narrow way to walk, you should go the narrow way, and there's the broad way that most people walk, this is the broad way. All these things are, you know, he said in Matthew 7, the gate is wide and the road is broad. That leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. So there are many, there's many people that do these things in trouble. And maybe you have done some of these things. Maybe you're doing some of these things. And I'd like to suggest a different way, a different response to trouble. And when you're, when you're going through it, when you're, and you're in life and you are just really going through it, one thing, one really important thing, a starting point is to admit, my way's not working. We have to be willing to admit, my way, oh, it's not working. So if we go back to that story about the jailer, ready to kill himself, Acts chapter 16, um, Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here, saying that the prisoners have not escaped yet. Your life's not as at risk as you thought it was. The jailer called for lights, he rushed in, and he fell down trembling. That is a picture of humility. Someone to fall on their knees. Before Paul and Silas, he escorted them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a really good question. I think he probably realized, I'm, I'm in so much trouble. I have no idea what to do. I mean, for a grown man to like fall on his knees in front of another grown man, it's almost like a pathetic kind of sight. Like what would, what would get you to the point where you're willing to be that humble, humiliated? in front of somebody. He didn't, actually, the jailer was at this point. He's like, my, my idea is not how to fix this issue. I, I am out of ideas. I don't even care how stupid I look. Please show me. What do, I need to, what do I need to do to be saved? And this actually happened here at our church last Sunday. There was a woman in our church who submitted her life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. And through some discussion, she identified in her life, my way is not working. I wish it was, or I, I need something different than what I've been doing. And incredibly, she put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and became a follower of Jesus. And I, it's amazing that God used our church. If you're, if you're part of Valley Lights, if you're a member here, if you're a regular, you are a part of a body of Christians that is helping the gospel make sense to people and come to life. And uh, this person has been coming to our church uh, for five months, started coming in June, and five months, you know, if you think about five months from, from coming to making a decision to follow Jesus is relatively short amount of time. You know, certainly God's been working in, in big ways throughout life, but um, it often has taken longer. There's, there's been people that have decided to, to put their faith in, in Jesus, um, and we've known them for a lot longer, sometimes over a year or more than a year. Sometimes it just takes a long time for people to really get to this point. And I was thinking about this, 
this idea of, of really admitting that my way is not working, and I thought of this song, My Way, by Frank Sinatra. And you know, if you think about that song, I think, you know, I think it's the real American anthem, <laughs> the message of this song. Let me, I want to just have you listen just to a few seconds of it. You probably are very familiar with this. And there's some lyrics up there as well. So if you guys can hit that, hit that track and show the lyrics. There we go. It almost kind of sounds like an anthem, don't you think? <laughs> it's just a loud, bold song. And the, the beginning of this song starts with, the end is near, I face the final curtain. It's almost like a dying anthem where he's just, I don't actually know him, Frank Sinatra personally, but if you just look at the lyrics, it's almost like a person is at the end of their life, and they said, I took the blows, I had this hard stuff, but look at me. I did it all my way. Not, not the one of like a fool who would get on their knees and do it someone else's way. Not the one who kneels. It's almost like, this, it's almost like there's, a, there's a level of scorn for any person that would be so foolish as to, to surrender their life to Jesus. This attitude, though, doesn't live only in the heart of these lyrics, but this attitude lurks in all of our hearts as well. And when we're going through it, if you're, if you're going through it, you don't have to kneel. If you're going through pain and trouble, you can keep a stiff neck if you want to. No one, no one forces you to yield. We do have a very different example, though. <clears throat> we do know somebody who was going through it and he did kneel. It's this guy. It's a picture of Jesus in the garden on the night before his crucifixion. And he said this. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He, I don't know if you know this, Jesus didn't want to get crucified. He, sometimes we forget about that. Like, he actually asked God to spare him from going through all that. And he makes this crazy statement where he says, even, even, even though it's the last thing in the world that I'd want to do, not my will, but yours be done. I would, maybe, I would say it this way, too. It's kind of keeping with Frank, Frank Sinatra's terms. Jesus essentially was saying, I will not do it my way. I'll do it God's way. I'll do it the Father's way. Why did Jesus say this? Why? What would, what would be his motivation to say? Because what if, what if he just resisted? He's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. 
What was Jesus' motivation to say, I will do it the Father's way? Well, he really loved you. And does really love you. And he loves me and, and us. And he loved, he loved, God loves the world. He knew that the only way for us to find salvation from our sins is to pay for it on the cross with his own blood. Ultimately, there was joy in the journey. He said, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew there was going to be good things on the end of it. I have a just real short video clip just depicting the death and the resurrection of Jesus and really what he was going to accomplish after that moment in the garden. So just check this out. Jesus died for you, and God raised him from the dead for you. And when we decide we're not going to do it our way, it opens up an incredible brand new life. When we decide not to do it his way, and we say, no, I'm going to be a stubborn, selfish fool, and I'm not doing it your way then we just stay excluded from all that. And we will receive the wrath of God at the end. The offer of salvation, he makes to everybody. He gives to everybody. And it's really hard. Why, I don't, why is it so hard for humans to let go of my way? And maybe it's not even everything. Maybe it's just one slice of your life. Maybe there's one thing. Maybe like in all things, like, no, I love Jesus. I love the Bible. There's so many good things. But there's, there's like one little slice. Or like, except for this one. Why do we do that? Why is it so hard to yield the whole thing to him? Let him be Lord and the boss of everything. It's really hard to do that. It's not even like technically you have to do anything. It's just like kind of a, it's like a turn of your heart. It's a change of attitude. Certainly, there is no work or action we can take to earn our salvation, but we have to change our hearts and really surrender, put our faith in him instead of in ourselves, in our own way. But it's really hard to do. I often hear gospel presentations where people talk about Jesus, and I hear, I hear it presented often in ways where Jesus brings a wonderful life for us, and that's sort of it. 
and the presentation leaves out the sin part, the my way part, the part where we have to turn away and we have to rip ourselves away. And so sometimes, sometimes people who do want to move towards God, just they get the, the only half of it, only the good part. Like come to Jesus and you'll, you'll experience a good life. And maybe this presentation would say, you know, follow, following Jesus means we get to follow him to heaven. That's, which is true. We do follow him to Jesus, or we follow Jesus to heaven. But sometimes you don't realize the path to heaven goes through the cross, not around it. We must be crucified. We must die to ourselves. We have to die to my way. I have to die to my sin. So if you want to follow Jesus, there will be really good things. But you have to follow him to the cross. And if you want to do that, if you, if, you do, if you do want to do that, I'd love to talk about that as well. If you're already a Christian, you know this already. And you and I have the difficult job of persuading people why it's worth it. <laughs> That's, that sounds really hard. I was like, hey, come on, everybody, follow me to the cross. Like, we have to, like, make that sound appealing, and there really is. It totally is worth it. It's more worth it than we can even imagine. But how do you persuade people that it will be worth it? If you're a Christian, there is a whole new way of responding to trouble that opens up. There's an incredible solution for your trouble and your difficulty. It's far more satisfying and far more helpful than our culture's approach to responding to trouble. So I want to look at a letter, just a small section from a letter written by James. He was the brother of Jesus, one of the brothers of Jesus, and he knew trouble because James saw Jesus get crucified and all the bad things that happened to him. And then James himself was one of the leaders in the early church that fell on very hard times, and then he himself was tragically murdered. And I want to show you this, just a couple verses, James chapter 5, verse 7. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. Farmers know they can't hurry up the fruit in the, in the harvest. You can't, you, can't uh, you know, hover over your crops and, and blow on them or like encourage them like, come on out, like you just gotta wait. You just gotta wait for things to grow. You can't make it develop. You just, you can't make things, plants grow any faster than it will. I thought it's kind of like sourdough starter. If anybody, if anybody makes sourdough and you want, you want the, you know, that starter to rise and to ferment and sometimes it takes, you know, they, like online they're like, oh, it takes like, you know, maybe two to six hours. Like mine takes like 12 to 15 hours, and there's nothing you can do to make it go faster. And so, if you want the good bread, you just got to just let it sit there and wait for it. God will make things develop in their proper season, whether it's sourdough or harvest or things in your life that you want. He will make them develop in the right season. We can, we, we can eagerly wait and get excited and anticipate things to ripen, but we cannot rush them. We cannot make the process go faster. A farmer cannot control the sun or the rain or the clouds or the wind or the season or anything. Neither can we control the circumstances in our, 
our life. We certainly can't control the people in our life. In ancient Palestine, if, if the weather worked back then the way it does now, there were two rainy seasons, which is referenced in this verse. Um, the harvest depended on this. So when James says the farmer waits um, is patient until it receives the early and the late rains. The early rains were probably the ones that came in autumn, in end of October, November. And that rain was used for preparing the soil for planting. The late rains were probably the ones that came in the spring that would refresh the remaining crops and get them ready to grow, keep growing. And sometimes I feel stuck in a dry season in between the rains. You know, like, oh, I, got, I had some good rain. I had some refreshment, and now, oof, it's dry. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. When's the other rain gonna get here? When's the next refreshment gonna come? Like, you know it's gonna come, because that's how the seasons work, but man, you cannot make it get here any faster. So James says, like the farmer, you must be patient. You also must be patient. So, so strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. We do wait for God to bring some good blessing and the help that we need. And then even beyond just like the help in the here and now, we certainly are waiting for him to bring final vindication and justice and peace that he has promised ultimately and eternally we especially wait for that. That's what it means to have hope in the Bible. We hope, we, we, we have a confident hope knowing that he will make things right in our lives and in the world eventually. The Lord's coming is near. Boy, it sure feels not near. <laughs> it feels like it's going to take forever for it to get here. No, but it's near because our lives are a vapor. Actually, our lives go pretty quick. James also says this next verse. He says, Brothers and sisters, don't, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. I think he throws this in there because when you are waiting and you're in that dry season in between the rains, sure is easy to complain about people and grumble and get disgruntled and just get irritated and hostile and difficult and slanderous. He says, don't do that. Jesus is at the door. He's on the other side of the door. So he, needs, he can hear. He can listen. So don't do that. So what we do, when, when you are going through it, trust God to bring a favorable outcome eventually. We must trust him. This is part of what it means to strengthen our hearts. James says, strengthen your heart. Well, what we do is like, I am determined to believe that God will, I know he will, bring a favorable outcome eventually. And we do this, we trust him instead of blaming God, we do this instead of blaming other people and getting down on people, and no, we wait and trust, and we wait and we trust and we wait, we wait a little bit more, and boy is it hard to wait. Then here's the next two verses are ones that I've been living on the past few months. He says this, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. He's referring to the Old Testament. You know some Old Testament stories about prophets? Guys like Moses and Jonah and Abraham and all those guys. He says, those guys, take them as an example. 
It says, see, we count as blessed those who have endured. And he, and he just throws out one example. He gives us just an idea of one of the prophets he's referring to. He says, you've heard of Job's endurance, and you've seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. If you know the story of Job, I, he's just assuming that you know. Do you know, do you know who Job is? <laughs> Maybe, do you know the story? Maybe if you don't, basically, just the idea is Job had, he was a very wealthy man. Well, I've had a lot of kids, a lot of livestock, a large estate. And then um, God gave permission to Satan to destroy and wreck his life, kill all his kids, destroy all of his stuff, rob him of all his, his assets. Basically, Job's life, if it were to happen to someone in Santa Clarita, it would be like someone, um, you, you just had identity, identity theft and drained your bank accounts, your retirement, every dollar you has gone. And then while that was happening, one of these wildfires that tend to happen around us comes through and burns your house down. Insurance won't cover it. That's gone too. And every one of your kids gets killed in a car accident. And you develop a skin disease, just like sores, hot spots on your back, your legs, just open wounds that ooze and won't heal. They get bigger and worse. And there's no comfortable position that you can sit in, stand in, lay in, or rest in. So it's, just, it's just pain and discomfort all the time. That, so that, that's the story of Job, or the first part of the story of Job. And somehow, Job endured all of that, all of that pain, and it feels like misfortune. You can read it. You can read how he endured it. It's a fascinating book in the Old Testament. And it's true, even, even James in the New Testament affirms this is a real story. Eventually, the Lord turned it all around. And so James says, like, we can read about the outcome that the Lord brought about. God turned things around for him, blessed Job far beyond anything that he had before, gave him greater wealth, greater number of assets, even more children. And it's really good. It's, it's kind of like a happy ending. It's exciting to see what God did there. And sometimes I think about the story, and I think about what about those losses. For me, at least in my frame of mind, like the, the lowest loss, the hardest loss in Job's story is his kids. I mean, he lost all of his kids. I'm like, I don't care about the donkeys and the tents and the huts and the other stuff. Even, even physical pain, I feel like I would take any day over than losing my kids. And... You know, that's a tension, man, like, man, God really, really, really made Job go through it or allowed him to go through it, designed the situation. And I think about that, and sometimes you hear about bad things or bad things happen in your life that seem off the charts, like tip the scales all the way. This is just, it's just, you know, God, like there's trials, but like this is cruel. This is, you've gone too far, God. And my understanding of how you resolve that tension is I really believe there is a deep spiritual blessing that can only be achieved through the deepest pain and loss. In my most painful moments in life that I've walked through, where I have begged God to take the pain away, and I have asked him, can you please give peace to this situation? Can you just make it easier in any way? And he didn't. 
I am now so glad that he didn't answer the prayer the way I was praying because of what he transformed in me at a deep level that you could never see on the outside. There are things that he has done in me through the deepest, most painful pain that I would not trade for anything. I would not go back and unwrite the story. If he said, you could go back, you can change it, make things easier and smoother, I wouldn't. That sentiment has been repeated by countless men and women who have walked with Christ over the centuries. One of my favorite genres of book to read is Christian biography or missionary biography. People like Corey Ten Boom or Darlene Diebler or Elizabeth Elliot or Louis Zamperini, people that, that walked with God through unspeakable horrors. Holocaust, physical pain, losing all their kids in the ocean, things like that. And every time you read about this person who has real faith in God, they wouldn't trade it either because of what God does in us is of far greater worth. And what can you do anyway? It's not like we can play God and make him change things. We can only trust him. Like the waiting farmer, we wait, and God is the one growing the fruit, producing something so precious. So in the waiting and the enduring, here's another thing that we do. Here's what we do when we go through it. We rely on God's compassion and mercy. And let me tell you, this is what James says. You know, you see the outcome the Lord brought about. We know that God is compassionate and merciful. That's what we get from the story of Job. Those two qualities are things that I have prayed for often. Lord, Lord, would you have compassion on me? I know you're compassionate. Would you extend some of that to me right now? Comfort me. Help me. And Lord, also would you be merciful? Because there are some jams that I get myself in that are so bad, the only way I'm getting out is by God's mercy. If he just, just, comes, he steps in and has mercy on me. And he has. I've experienced his mercy. So I pray for these things. I'd encourage you to pray for those things. And I know that God is good. He is capable of fixing things. And he, I, he will, not like I hope he does, but he will bring good out eventually. So he wants us to endure. That's what we have to do. Endure, if you want kind of like a working definition, here's a few ideas. What it means to endure, this comes up a lot in the, in the book of James. It's really to bear, to bear it without yielding to force or pressure. Or, or maybe it's to take the pain, but not break. To endure means to, to continue, to keep going. Step after step, sometimes it's a small step, it's a feeble step, but take another step without failing. To endure really means to, to be firmly fixed, established. My feet are planted, not because of how strong I am, but because of him. I'm, I'm strong. And I think the thing that Satan is most interested in seeing break is your faith. Satan was so excited to see Job's faith fail. Satan could just taste it. He knew it was going to happen. He just, I just keep heaping on the trouble. More trouble, more trouble, death, pain, physical loss. Any minute now, it seems like he's going to break. I know it. The thing that did break was Job's body. His heart broke over the loss. His family broke. Even his wife broke. 
But his faith never, never, never failed. He did not stop trusting God. Job had a lot of questions for God. He got a little hoity-toity. And got, he, he overstepped his bounds a little bit and asked God some questions, but God can handle a few questions. You know, he, he, his perspective needed some correcting, and God definitely corrected that. That's okay. But at the core of it, Job endured. He wouldn't give up in his faith in the Lord. Last statement. James kind of wraps it up with this statement from the first chapter. He said, Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I really believe your endurance will bring blessing in your life. Now, and in eternity. You will be blessed in this life greatly if you endure. And you cannot imagine the blessing that you will receive in eternity if you endure. What I've shared with you today is an incomplete teaching on suffering. There's a lot in the New Testament about suffering. Actually, the whole Bible. It's a big theme. Christianity, a huge theme in Christianity is suffering. And I've just given you like a slice of theology of suffering. New Testament is full of guidance, so I hope at least this slice has been helpful to you. And here's a few things that you might do as you think about this in your own life is, like I had mentioned, the narrow path and the broad path. You know, that broad path, the typical ways that most everyone in our world responds. You can walk the narrow path. Very few do this. Here's what you would do. One thing Instead of justifying myself, I'll humble myself. I will get to that point. Maybe you need to get to that point where you just need to fall on your knees and say, my way is not working anymore. I need to throw myself on the mercy of the Lord. Maybe you've never done that, like in totality of your whole life. Maybe there's a slice of your life that you've been hanging on to, and you're like, I can't, I can't do that anymore. I can't hold this back. If you want to fully commit your life, to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord. Mark that on your box. Let's talk about that. You can do that today. Another thing, and the narrow path, very few people do this. Instead of blaming God, cry out to God. If you, if the, by the way, if, the, if this message is relevant to you, right next to this, Psalm 73. The Psalms are full of people crying out to God in their pain. Even, you know, even in Job's situation. You could read the story of Job. But it's okay. Cry out to God. Let him know your pain. Just ask. Beg him for his mercy and his compassion in prayer. Another thing, instead of growing bitter and becoming that sour person, just disgruntled, critical, instead, find friends. And you probably know, I don't mean just any friends or any drinking buddies or, you know, people from your high school. I mean the right people, the right friends. You know who's in your life that kind of like causes you to stray or bend the rules and like distance yourself from Jesus. And you know the friends you, or I should say the real friends, the people in your life that will help you draw closer to the Lord. You know those ones. Find those people. If you don't know those ones, you're actually in a really good place to find some people like that. Another thing, instead of freaking out, is to endure and be steady. 
the verses that we looked at today would be really good ones to memorize, to study in your own, in your own daily time with the Lord, to remain steady. I hope this has been helpful to you this morning. I really am glad that you joined us today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time, for the incredible encouragement that we get from your word. We thank you for your compassion. And Jesus, thank you for dying for us and creating a path for us to follow you. Would you help us endure the pain and the trouble that you've allowed us to walk through? Help us to be steady and firm. Give us strength, encourage, encouragement. Would you, would you allow this church family to be a place of support for those going through difficulty? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.